Lockdown Diaries, Chapter 5 A few days after the lockdowns began in March, the writer and photographer Teju Cole asked this simple question on his Facebook page. What's helping? In a way, these radio diaries have been conversations in search of an answer to that elusive question. Even as restrictions relax in some cities, I know I still need all the help I can get. One thing that has definitely been helping is photography. Not news photography, but my personal archive. Organizing endless albums on the phone, revisiting bursts of landscapes from past trips, zooming in on the portraits of my sisters and friends. My pictures have been a source of comfort and consolation. This fifth chapter of Lockdown Diaries is about the art of photography, and it's a conversation with one of the best practitioners of the medium, the artist Dhanita Singh. When I take a little break from my contact sheets, I go around the rooms just to look at where the light has reached. If writers compose with words, great photographers paint with light. My best friend in these days has really been the light. Every day, shifting slightly, as it does. Dainita's photographs are held in the collections of the world's leading museums, most of which are now closed. But it's her books that she considers her greatest exhibitions. Returning to Dainita's work in this time has changed how I look at the way the sun shines into the room where I've spent this lockdown. She always captures how the most personal of things, our rooms and memories, can become great works of art when composed and edited with care, as the writer Teju Cole once told me. It's a photograph of a bed. It's a photograph of a group of people. It's a photograph of a grave. And yet, because of her instinct for what picture should come after what picture, all of it just feels like it belongs. She began her career as an apprentice to the great Indian musician, Zakir Hussain. And in the dignity she affords each of her subjects, her gaze is the embodiment of inclusion. But in this age of lockdowns, India's fragile fault lines of religion and class have been ripped wide open. The news images from India in newspapers around the world are terrifying portraits of starving migrants, crowds being brutalized by the police, washed down by chemicals, children and farmers facing collapse. In the meantime, New Delhi, known for its chaos and pollution, has the quietest traffic it's had in years, its smoky skies blue once more. It's where I reached Dainita at her home to ask her how she's experiencing this time and how she would answer that same question Teju Cole once posed. What's helping? Um, I am just trying to use this time, not even use, just think about this time as a chilla, as the chilla that Zakir used to talk about where for 40 days you would be shut in your room with the instrument that you play and your guru is outside. And from the time you wake up to the time you sleep, you are just playing. And if you do anything wrong, the guru will shout at you and you just get fed twice a day. And that's it. So it's like 18 hours with whatever it is that you do. And I thought, it's such a dreadful time in the world and the levels of cruelty that one is hearing and seeing videos of, is below sub-zero, you know? So it's like corona is bad enough. Now we have this cruelty all around us, a, a class cruelty, which I didn't, I frankly didn't know that there, there was this much of cruelty. I don't know what happened. I don't know where it comes from. I really don't know. 
And the only thing I can do, the only thing is just immerse myself in editing my old contact sheets. The moment I get away from my computer, it's just so heartbreaking. So it's, I, I don't know, I feel quite paralyzed. And so the only thing I can do is really focus on work, like in that chilla kind of way. And I think that's what will keep my sanity at least. Well, you know, the stories that you're describing, especially the stories from India that are, of course, globally being seen and are very unsettling and there are videos and, and images, as you said, and now especially because we live with these windows in our phone that can be sort of thrashed open to, to such things to see that you wouldn't have expected. I, I, I wonder how are you balancing opening those windows and letting the images of what's happening in and, and then your editing that you're working on on your computer? How do you, how do you find that balance? If, if I didn't have this work, I think I would have lost my mind or jump off this balcony or do something to someone. It's, it's, a, it's such a terrifying time. So it's a very difficult time to find that balance, but I can just do a certain amount of breathing and then sit down at my desk and give myself a strict deadline of today I must look at 100 contact sheets. And so I'm sort of whipping myself into working and trying not to look at the phone at that time. Well, you know, as a person who's not a visual artist and not from the art world and as an admirer of your work, I have to say one of the other things that has been on my mind is the extent to which you work with archive, not only in your own archive, but also that a lot of the work that you've made has often captured ways of life that are disappearing and, and systems of, of living that have been fading. And I guess I, I am interested in this particular moment as it feels like we're saying goodbye to forms of living. You know, what does it mean, do you think, to, to document that or the importance of our own archives in this moment, because I think it seems like we're all going to be seeing certain things that we may have loved or been used to doing that are also going to be fading. And the fading away has been a subject of some of your exhibitions and your work as well. Yeah, this brings me to, you know, the thing that I love about photography is its documentary aspect. And I would encourage people at this time, if they're sitting at home, uh, the ones who are lucky enough to be sitting at home and have a home to sit in, to really look through, A, the archives they already have. You know, everything that's on your computer and, you know, get your hands, if you can, on a printer and make some prints at least. But organize that archive of all your family pictures because if that hard disk crashes, or you leave it on a floppy disk, your grandchild can't access it. It's a big problem. So I still believe in old style, small prints and making albums out of them. And you could do that for your family. Just instead of all the digital po photos that you post, that you actually print some of them and make these albums for each member of your family. Because those records are important, no? They they determine who we are, whatever happens in the future. So it's an important moment for everyone to realize that, if they haven't already, that they are photographers as well. Um, somebody else could be uh, documenting 
conversations. This is a great time for people to be making oral archives with whoever that they're in the house with, and as well as building new audio or video archives with people that you can get online with. Because for once, for once in our lives, everybody has time. Uh, the ones who have the luxury of having their homes. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you also, because one of the things that I've been thinking about, and it was especially made evident to me when I was living in Delhi and, and we got to know each other, that there is a world that exists, certainly not at this moment, of being able to be in many places and go to many events and openings and exhibitions. And this is certainly your world as well. The art world, for example, is a part of this. Culture, industries, conferences, film festivals, literary festivals. And I find that the fact that that whole banquet of, of gatherings being canceled raises an important question too, that in a way the consumption of culture had become very associated with festivals. And yeah. this is sort of like one has to create a very different kind of idea of an exhibition or an, of a conference in a way much more deliberate. You can't just sort of passively experience some kind of spectacle. And, and, I, and I wonder, just since this is a world you know so intimately and, and do travel a lot, how do you think about that or how are you finding that? I think it's a time, and it'll happen anyway, regardless of what we say. It's a time of shedding. It's a time of letting go of a lot of things. So in one's houses, really thinking, how much does one really need, you know? And in, in India, if you've got rice, dal, and onion, garlic, and some vegetables, you're fine. And that's enough. But that's just the food. But everything, we've become such a consumer society. We just want to gather, gather, gather. And the same with experience. We want to just travel all the time and we want to go to all these festivals and exhibition openings and all that. And I think it'll be very good to actually sit back and really think about what amongst these do we really need? What do we need the exhibition opening for? What do we need the big parties for? You know, we, we're all going to think of different forms. I was thinking of this actually earlier because of all the traffic in Delhi. It's, I feel bad to even invite people to my openings, the few that I've had, because, you know, it can take you up to two hours to get to an opening. How long will people keep doing that? Because we're also realizing in Delhi with blue skies now that actually when people are not up and about all the time and that there's a lot of fresh air and there's lots of birds and there's a clear sky. So I'm hoping that the priorities of all the organizers will also shift. And it'll have to, no? Because this virus is not going away. And we don't know how long it'll last, how much it'll mutate. So perhaps there will have to be a certain amount of social distancing anyway. And maybe we have to go back to a more philosophical way of looking at the time of being with oneself and the time of actually doing a chilla and really focusing on whatever it is you do and whatever it is that you can do in your home. And if it's a question about how do I share my work, I'm sure artists are going to find very innovative ways of putting their work out there. And what will probably take a beating is the market. But then so be it. The market was anyway so inflated and so exaggerated. 
Well, you know, speaking of creative ways that artists can share their work, the last time you and I had a long-form conversation um, was about your museum, Bhavan Project, but the Pocket Museum editions of them, which I happen to have yeah. with me here and where I'm staying now in Dubai, actually, which is that there are these, you know, I, I had an exhibition opening of one of your exhibitions the other day, and it, it's interesting to me that you had already been saying that for you having museum openings is wonderful, but you also want to be able to have these museum openings in lots of unexpected places. And so it's something that you, I think, have been very interested in, it seems, for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I was very happy to see the photographs you sent, but many other people have been telling me they've been having their private exhibitions of Museum Bhavan. And I feel very, very happy with that. And so... My my art is not dead on your wall. My art is alive on your table. Or, and I'm hoping that more and more artists will find ways of... Like, I, I think I already wrote somewhere that for a while, it's not that we won't have exhibitions, but it may come to the fact that I want to have this exhibition in Berlin. But, you know, shipping costs are huge. And so... Can I create that exhibition here in Delhi? And can I photograph it in a way that can give an experience to another person? And then perhaps just the book of it gets shipped out. Can I make a book version of that work? But I think this is the time to launch the suitcase museum again. You know, the fact that earlier I was saying that all the big museums need to have suitcase museums that can be sent to different places so that in my village in Salegaon, I can have a MoMA exhibition because they've made a suitcase that I become the ambassador of. And I had made my own suitcase museums. And then I can take your museum out wherever I go. In a way, Bilal, that you can take my museum bhavan wherever you go and you do. But, you know, if you want to take it to someone's house, you can take it wherever you like. So, yes, I'm I suddenly, in this conversation, remembered the suitcase museum idea. And that's maybe the time has come when I made it. There were a lot of people sniggering and making fun of me. And it became an object. But I meant it to be a utilitarian thing, something that people would use, that the MoMA would make a form out of it. Maybe I should suggest it to them now. Well, you know, I, I when I had to come here very quickly from Washington before the airport closed, I had to just pack a bag, you know, within a 24-hour period before apparently the UAE was going to close its borders. And it was very unclear how that was going to look and, and indefinite for an indefinite period of time, right? Because it seems like we don't really all know when this lockdown will really end. I mean, I'd, yeah. I don't really think it has a clear-cut end date. You mentioned the Chilla is yeah. 40 days, but... At least that has a timeline. I don't really know what the time yeah. timeline of this particular time is. That, With that said, I right. felt like I, I had to pack clothes, of course, which is a kind of very practical thing. But then I ended up using a lot of my bag to, you know, curate a sort of museum of artifacts and things that are important <laughs> in my life. And I found that, you know, if somebody was to open... And actually, I have to just tell you, this is a totally incredible story because it's crazy. When I was in Germany, my my friend had this little mini box that has recorded bird songs from the German sort of forest. And, you know, it's one of these kind of kitschy things, but it's actually really sweet that every time you walk by it, its sensor sets off a bird song. 
And um, wow. it's actually really beautifully recorded. So it's like a little museum of sound. And basically, I find it the one of the lightest, kind of like your museum pub and a really easy thing to take with you somewhere to create a sound. But what's funny is that I have all these really strange things in my bag that, frankly, if somebody opened, it would they would think this person <laughs> is totally mental. Um, and and, yeah. and th in this case, somebody from the Department of Homeland Security did because they dismantled this entire little bird sensor thing and removed the motor and the speaker and kind of disassembled it because they thought it may have been some kind of a strange device. And so right. it had completely been disassembled and then just had a little note like we had to open your bag. And um, yeah. and then now I don't know how to put it back together, really. But, <laughs> the, but the thing is that it's this museum of very strange objects. But I find it very difficult to now travel without these small, um, this small personal exhibition, I suppose, of things. Because that's home to you, no? Right. You must have picked out all the things that with which you could make home somewhere else very quickly. Exactly. And it's an interesting exercise for everyone to do. And if you just have a suitcase, in fact, it would be a beautiful project for everyone to do, to just think, like, if I had to leave here for an infinite amount of time, yes, I have one bag of my clothes, but I have another bag with which I curate home somewhere else, which are the books I'm going to take. You know, am I going to carry my own lamp or my own pillow? I don't know. That incense holder, uh, that speaker, I don't know. And it would be so interesting to see what people come up with. Do you, can I ask you to describe your room that you're in and, and the light that you see? Because I, I know that you're so tuned into that. And I think it's also that with time and, and attention, we often do see the gradations in the day differently as well. And I, and I would just be curious how you... Yes. What your room looks like and what the what the time of day is right now like in Delhi. So, I yeah, that's terrific that you ask because I'm someone who has always spent time in this house and I'm someone who has always looked at light. That's what I do. But in this time, I am seeing such different configurations. And I don't know if it's because the air is so clear that the light is falling differently but I can spend at least from 12.30 onwards till 5.30 just looking at what I'm looking at right now, which is sitting with my back to the wall, looking out the big window, seeing the banana trees and the frangipani outside and the light coming in through the bougainvillea. So because of the breeze, it's dancing on the right wall. But that right wall is reflecting the light onto the left wall in another shape. So on the left wall, I have this very Mondrian-like triangular shape. And on the right side, I have this, you know, coming through the Bougainvillea. So like this jungle where the light is just constantly changing. I'll send you a recording of it. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. So I, when I take a little break from my contact sheets, I go around the rooms and in the veranda as well, just to look at where the light has reached. And... You know, so my best friend in these days has really been the light. And every day shifting slightly, you know, as it does. But I've never had the time to appreciate it so much. Or it's the clear sky that is showing me such different lights. But probably I never had the time to just sit at this 
view for five hours at a stretch or 10 hours at a stretch. In addition to the light, are you consuming a lot of art of other people's at this time? Are you reading a lot? Are you listening? No, no, no. I have completely removed all the art from my walls because the most dramatic or the most uh, thrilling art is what the light seems to do in my apartment. I intuitively made a light box. I didn't plan it quite like that, but intuitively I did that. And as we are speaking, that triangle is now turning into a circular thing. I have to investigate how that is happening. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking this time for this uh, conversation. I, I'm just so grateful that we got to speak. Yeah. It's, it's In a way, I've always thought, you know, are these digital conversations or distant conversations, shadow conversations, and yet they really don't have to be if you're attending to them. Exactly. If you set up a time and you sit at a table, I think the problem is when you're wandering around the house and cooking at the same time. But if you sit down, um, I think to have the same conversation, we would have taken about three times or four times the amount of time in your house or mine, because a lot of time goes into social niceties. Will you have some water? Will you have some whatever? All of that. And these conversations just we got straight into it. Yeah. And in some ways, in some ways, Bilal, in some ways, it is feeling more intimate than when we meet. Because when we meet, everyone's so pressed for time and we're always in such a rush. And like our conversation right now, no? It's just going on and I'm watching the light change and we have each other's 100% attention. Well, you know, it's reminding me, I was in Washington at somebody's house and uh, they had sent us a Google reminder of when we went to their house for dinner. And then this time that they had scheduled actually had an end time for a dinner party. And I remember right. because then we got a notification on our phone that this appointment is ending. And I, and I don't think that they intended for us to see the end time that they had scheduled in their Google right. calendar. Now you, could, <laughs> now, you could think this may have been, you know, just a, a kind of oversight of information. But it was just a very, I remember that moment feeling so kind of violent that already knowing that you know when you want the conversation to end before it's even yeah, begun yeah. is kind of the way but a lot of us do live. That's what our lives had become, no? Right. No, it's true. I mean, if we were scheduling meeting our parents for coffee once a week, you know, how much worse does it get? And it wasn't like that, no? Earlier, we had so much time pajama parties that would continue for days because there were so many urgent conversations that had to continue for for days and it's it's a gift to be able to have these conversations so i hope we can have one again soon you can see images from dianita singh's books on her website dianitasingh.net and learn more on my Instagram page at lockdown.diaries. Lots of love to you, Bilal. Thank you. Stay well. Bye. 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 Thank you again for listening to this chapter of my diaries. And thank you for being part of these conversations. Our music is by Zabe Bangash. I'm Bilal Qureshi, and this has been a B-Sides production.